Well, now that we can no longer meet, can we still be the church? We've been wrestling with that question in this series, and we come to a very important message today because it's been a very challenging couple of weeks, hasn't it? I mean, on top of the previous almost three months of the COVID lockdown, I got to tell you, I'm thankful we're meeting together tonight. I hope to see you there. It's at 7 p.m. We're going to be in the back parking lot. Bring your lawn chairs, your water bottles, and your masks as we worship together. We are in a very sobering time as a nation. I hope that you took the time to watch the video that I emailed out in the middle of the week. If not, you can find the link in the notes, the bulletin that was emailed to you on Friday. I encourage you to find that and watch that. I've learned through the years that there are times when quiet and silence are very important. When you're laying down your sleeping baby and you walk out of the room, you don't want to step on the noisy, squeaky toy. Uh, when your wife asks you, do I look fat in this dress? Or how about when the press asks you, as the Prime Minister of Canada, do you agree with Trump's response? Or how about when a police officer pulls you over and says, do you know how fast you were going? There are times when silence is truly golden. We face a time in our nation, in our city, in our community, that silence is not golden. In fact, it is just plain chicken. And I realize that when a preacher moves into what many see as a political area, they can begin to, at the very least, make people uncomfortable and at the most, have a risk of alienating people. Yet what's happening in our country, though it has significant political implications, we're going to discover today is at the heart of a Jesus-following, gospel-centered community. And we can no longer remain silent to the injustice of our nation. As in WNBA player Natasha Cloud wrote, your silence is a knee on my neck. Well, today is the final message in our series, The Church Quarantined. Honestly, at first, <laughs> I thought I was going to have to just kind of throw away the plan that I had and start all over again because of what's happening. But it's amazing how God brings his people to a certain place, thinking it's their plan all along, and then he flips the switch. And he takes our plan, and he turns it into his plan. Now, this series is an important look into what is the church all about? What did Jesus have in mind when he said, I will build my church? I mean, we certainly have some strange ideas about church and its real purpose. We've talked before, uh, you're, a, you're a Catholic, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Catholic. We've talked, uh, we've talked. I'm not a good Catholic. Are there, are there good Catholics? I don't, well, there's. A good Catholic would not consider himself a good Catholic. Right. Well, yeah. that's probably why there's not a test, right? Like, if there was a test for Catholics, no one would pass. Eventually, the... there is, Jim. There is. There's I a know, final but... exam. There there's is. There's a final exam at the end of it. Pencils down, gentlemen. But that's... Pencils down. 
That's what being an old person's all about. That's why church is filled with old people. They're cramming it in at the end. <laughs> right? That's exactly They're like, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> trying to make up for some time. It's the ultimate Make SAT. up for my 20s. Uh-huh. No, the church isn't about old people making up for their 20s or cramming for the final test. So let's do some review. The church isn't a building, but it's a body of people, right? It's you and it's me, followers of Jesus. The church isn't sitting on our backsides, but it's serving others in the church, but especially as the church in the community. And last week we learned the church isn't isolating, but it's connecting and it's encouraging. So today in our final message, we're learning this, that the church isn't about silence, but about sharing and about action. As a church, when we face the hurt, the pain, and the injustice that we have seen, I mean, not just starting with the racist killing of George Floyd, but that is ingrained into our culture, we must come face to face that there is a time for speaking and that there is a time for action, but there's never a time for inaction or silence when those who follow Jesus can act. Our community needs to hear of the good news of hope that only Jesus brings. But until we as the church are willing to act against the racial injustice that is so problematic and systemic in our American culture, we lose the voice to tell them about Jesus. Today's message is hard. It's challenging. It's been important and yet difficult and stressful to write and preach to you. It'll be hard and challenging and stressful for you to hear it at times. But preach it I must and listen to it. I, I plead you, with you to open your heart and listen. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the start of the ministry of Jesus that's found in Luke chapter 4. So please open your Bibles and be ready to study with me. It's a place where Jesus announced the mission to which God had called him to this earth. Now the setting of this story is the town of Nazareth. That's the town that Jesus grew up in. Um, it's the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And they had gathered in the synagogue for their service. Now, the synagogue had become kind of the church of the Jewish community where they would gather to worship and learn. Um, they would support one another. But on this particular Sabbath, something profound and long prophesied was about to be announced. Jesus will teach that his mission on earth was twofold. It was the proclaiming good news, as well as ministry to the oppressed, poor, and enslaved. And his message is important to us who follow him, because in this message, Jesus was revealing the direction for you and me today as his church. That yes, we must proclaim salvation from sin that only comes through Jesus Christ. But we can't separate this proclamation from the deep needs that we see in our community of poverty and oppression and enslavement that's in our culture. So here's our, our key today. Before we can speak about the gospel which sets all men free, we must take action against the injustice 
that enslaves them. I want to talk about sharing the gospel. But as the American church, we have lost the right to share Jesus because we've been so silent and complicit about racism. Will we learn to listen to Jesus and follow his teaching? Or will we remain silent, do nothing? And as the story tells us, watch him walk away. So I ask you to open your Bibles, listen as I read from Luke chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 16. You follow along. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he, anointed, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And Jesus began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Then go down to verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. Now Luke's passage is an important one which reveals the ministry focus of Jesus. Now there are other passages that you can find this, but Luke's is a great summation that gives us the mission of Jesus Christ. So Luke uses this passage, this text, to express Jesus' identity and to define his role. His role as the prophesied Messiah and all that this role encompasses. Spiritual restoration, moral transformation, rescue from demonic oppression, and release from illness and disability. So what was his mission? to share his message of love, which is supported by his ministry of compassion. So look again there, Luke 4, beginning in verse 18. Jesus speaks, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. As we consider this message of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves in the midst of it, are we truly following him? Before we discuss the specific words that describe his mission, we need to take a moment and look a little bit at the background of this passage. In a typical Sabbath service, there would be um, the reciting of the Shema, which was the confession that's recorded in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. They all knew it by heart. They would quote that together. Then they would share in prayer, and some of those prayers were set prayers that we, they would pray together. Then there would come a reading from God's law, the Torah, followed by a reading 
of the prophets. Then would follow an exposition that would usually tie the readings together, and then the service would close with a benediction. So Jesus was handed the the scroll to read apparently the prophet section of the service. We don't know if he did all the others, but it was the words of Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 and 2, which is a messianic passage written by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus even walked on this earth. Now those gathered in the synagogue knew that this was a prophetic passage. They knew it pointed to the work of the promised Messiah. In fact, the Hebrew word for Messiah means the anointed one, and the Greek equivalent is the word Christ. Then Jesus, as the appointed teacher of the day, moves into the exposition part of the service, But it is at this particular point that he literally, by his exposition, shocks everyone. Look at verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. His words would have caught them way off guard. And as he continues, they become even more rattled by this revelation. Now, before we talk about their reaction, I want to spend some time on the words from Isaiah, which Jesus himself declares today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he begins by saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is a very clearly a reference back to his baptism. You remember that picture? He was baptized when he came up out of the water. The Spirit descended upon him like a dove, which represented the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus Christ. Um, And also, that picture provides the authority because kings and prophets of the Old Testament also had the Spirit of God placed upon them. And so this was God's way of saying, pay attention to him. He's my anointed. But then he says, he was told to proclaim good news. Now that whole phrase is actually just one word in the Greek, evangelizo, which is where we get the word evangelize. We now know that this is the message of salvation, paid for by Jesus' blood on the cross. But at the moment of him reading this, that would happen in the future. So he was alluding to what was to come. But then Jesus moves from the message to talking about how he would support that message by the ministry that he would bring, relief from the burdens of those who need the good news. And so what is that support and ministry? What kind of burdens, who, who is he ministering to? He begins by talking about the poor. 
It means the downtrodden, the downtrodden, the disadvantaged, the helpless in themselves and at the mercy of powerful people and adverse circumstances. To proclaim freedom for the prisoner. It refers to those who are literally captive in prisons, but also the captivity imposed by demons and sin and other forces of the devil. Interestingly, in Isaiah, this is a reference to the year of Jubilee as well as the year of the Lord's favor, which was a critical law of God's people. Every seventh year and then the 50th year, the returning of slave, the returning of land back to the original state to which God had given them. In other words, free back to the one who originally had them to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. I mean, that's literally healing. We saw Jesus do that so often. But it was also about opening people's eyes to truth. And then to set the oppressed free. It covers all those who are beaten down by sin or demons or sickness or circumstances or in Jesus' day, the religious systems. Through the prophecy of Isaiah, which he was just speaking on behalf of God, through his pronouncement, Jesus was providing a a look at what the next three years would be like. He would be proclaiming the good news, teaching and instructing, but he would support that message by the actions that he would take. The actions which the nation of Israel had neglected. See, Jesus is also tying this prophecy to another place in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6. And verse 6 comes at the end of a scathing complaint that God makes against the nation of Israel for failing to properly worship on the Sabbath and for failing to be a source of liberty for those who are oppressed. Jesus ties his word and his work to the passage which ends with this in Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? What Jesus was saying is he's going to do what Israel had failed to do. He will bring about the salvation of God. And he will free those who suffer from the oppression that is a part of this life that was the responsibility of Israel. I am the promised Messiah. That's what Jesus was saying. And they didn't like that. I'm here to do what you have been silent and failed to do. And then he cements their anger with him by telling him he's not going to do any more miracles for them. Because they've chosen not to believe his words. And then, just as the famous prophets went to the Gentiles, Jesus was pointing out, my message is going to go to the Gentiles as well, to the whole world. And how do they respond? Verse 28. All the people in the synagogue, they were furious when they heard it. They got up, they drove him out of town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd, and he went on his way. It's an allusion to what happens if one chooses to ignore the call of Jesus to his followers. If we refuse to believe who he is, and we don't act in accordance with his wishes, he'll just go on his way. 
The ministry of Jesus, which he passes on to his followers, contains two specific areas of obedience. And that's very clear in this passage. But the application of that obedience changes due to the circumstance in which you and I and other followers through the centuries have lived. We are to share the message of Jesus, proclaim the good news about what Jesus has done for you and for me. And we're to support that message through the ministry of providing relief from the burdens of those who need the good news. You see, that message never changes. But the way we support that message changes as the needs and the burdens and the oppression of our community changes. So how does this apply to Wildwood Christian Church? So question number one is this, am I sharing the good news? One of the things I love about Wildwood Christian Church, not the building, right, but the church, you, me, the people who make up the church. What I love about Wildwood Christian Church is that we so value understanding and learning the Word of God. We teach, we preach from it, our small groups study it. I mean, we spent all last year learning to eat this book because it's such a priority for us. We are biblically grounded people. I love that about our church. So it's really not a question of do I know enough about God's Word. Yeah, I can always be learning more about God's Word. And if I'm new, I sometimes feel like I don't know enough. The question really isn't do I know enough about God's Word. The question is am I willing to open my mouth and share about what Jesus Christ has done for me? Not staying silent, but when the opportunity arises proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. You see, teaching the good news about Jesus was and is still a part of the core ministry of, that Jesus had and that he gives to you and to me. So what does that look like to not be silent, but to share the good news? It's as simple as I tell someone what Jesus has done for me. Do you know that your story is irrefutable? Nobody can argue with your story. It's, it's not about standing and preaching at somebody and pointing a finger or holding up a placard that says you're going to hell or posting something on Facebook that says, everybody who loves Jesus, post this, share this, or you're going to go to hell. It's just simply building a relationship with someone, being sensitive to God's Spirit. And when the opportunity comes along, I tell them what Jesus has done for me. I don't even have to tell them my whole story. It's just simply saying, let me tell you the good news about what Jesus has done for me, that he's forgiven me, that he's shown me mercy where I didn't deserve any at all, that he has canceled my past and he's given me a future filled with hope. The first question we've got to wrestle with is, am I sharing the good news about Jesus with those who desperately need it? How does this apply? Question number two. Am I taking direct action? See, the words of Jesus are pro so profound in the culture and the season in which we find ourselves in here in America. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to the poor, the prisoners, 
the blind, the oppressed. I mean, this was the people with the greatest need at the time of Jesus. They needed his ministry. So who has the greatest need in American culture today? I mean, there's so many needs, right? But the needs so prevalent today are those oppressed under the evil and impact of racism in America. I mean, this is, this is nothing new. Though to many of us who are white, middle-class Americans, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, what, what's going on here? Dr. Derwin Gray is the founding pastor of Transformation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And before he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, he was a football player at Brigham Young University. Then he went to the NFL where he played for the Colts, and it was during that time that he came to Jesus Christ. But a couple of days ago, he was interviewed by a Brigham Young sports radio show. And I want you to listen to this conservative Christian pastor who is black remind us of the reality of our country. Ben, there, there's, there's a couple of things. What's happening in our nation is not new. And so there are incredible men and women in blue police officers. But there's also been police br brutality. Like this is this is not new. I don't uh, in in my new book, The Good Life, I have a chapter on peacemaking and I open up with the story of Rodney King and police brutality in 1992. I'm 49 years old. I have never not known a time when there has not been conflict between African-American community and police officers. I do not know a time when the vestiges of racism has not been the air that we breathe in America. And so the conversation with black Americans and specifically with black Christians, uh, me as a pastor of a multi-ethnic church, like this isn't a new conversation. People go, I can't believe this. And I go, why? Like, why can't you believe this? Like, you can't believe, like, how many more, like, it shouldn't take a video to believe what's been said for so long. Where there's smoke, um, there's fire. We can no longer ignore the voices crying out in our streets today. Are we as the American church listening? Or are we turning our backs, pretending there's not a problem? See, it's time to recognize and accept that in America, there is a great divide. This is not my gospel that builds these walls between us, drawing borders that separate, raising flags of supremacy, empires of hate in the name of freedom. This is not my gospel that casts the immigrant out, pulling mothers' urgent hands from the cries of their children, expelling souls to isolation because of the color of their skin, their sexuality, the gender, the class, the nation they live in. This is not my gospel that spits on the face of God, lashing his image with words of rejection, warmongering, dominating the weak, Diminishing salvation to a conditional thing While hope lies lost and bleeding 
weeping for relief. This is not my gospel that turns communities inwards, planting distrust in their hearts towards the beauty of difference, labeling neighbors as enemies and defining us by division. This is not my gospel with its eyes full of pride, when injustice is clothed in lies, when grace is caged, we face the great divide. Humanity displaced from love. My gospel is love, who crossed the chasm between heaven and earth, speaking worth to all in endless benevolence. Love who sat in the dirt with the rejected, erasing their shame with the touch of acceptance who reached for those society deserted, embracing the leper, the filthy, the hurting. Love who clutched the souls of his rivals in nail-pierced hands, holding them free from hell's vicious venom, declaring them brother, sister, cherished, forgiven. Love who tore the temple veil, divine grasping flesh, flesh clutching divine, crying, you are mine. Precious mankind, awake from your slumber and open your eyes to love. Who walked through the walls, crossing the divide with burning passion, calling for those who have lost their place, breaking tomb after tomb after tomb to reveal a world of eternal embrace. This is my gospel. This is the cry heard in the night of unrest clutch close to heartbroken chests, crying, reach for me, reach past the borders, reach to the wounds that have torn us apart, plant seeds of compassion where malice has grown, throw your arms open and welcome the forsaken home, break down the walls that hate has raised, turn your eyes to the face of the shamed and realize that it is mine. It is yours, we are one reborn and remade. Let the stars fall, let mercy cascade, let the heavens pour, I gave you my all. I will give it again and again and again. I throw down my kingship, I throw down my fame, to be with you in the rejection, to hold you in the pain. You are not the outsider, nor a child of shame. Let the depths proclaim to the heights above that you are loved. There is no doubt that God is using this time to do his work and will. The real question for us is this, as a church, will we join up with God? Jesus will build his church and his church will be assigned to the principalities and powers of the reconciliation that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. That will happen. There is no doubt. The question is whether we as Wildwood Christian Church will join ourselves to what God is doing and is going to do in this world. Listen to the words of Russell Moore. As people of faith, 
it's time to stop saying, we want your blessing, God, but don't disturb us too much. We want your blessing, God, but don't change our order of worship. We want your blessing, God, but don't change our institutions of power. We want your blessing, God, but don't change our systems. We should instead say, God is doing something, and we want to join him in that. See, it's time to truly follow Jesus, to join the work of God and take direct action against the injustice and the racism of our community. The result would be we will lose the right and opportunity to be listened to when we declare the good news of Jesus if we remain silent. So how will you and I respond? I mean, as we face the ills of our society and culture, I mean, there are some which must be accepted, right? There are others which just must be carried as a burden. But when we're in a position of influence and power, and God has put that burden on our lives, we must act against the very things that Jesus was speaking about in his day and age, and in our society. So what do we do? Let me give you some suggestions here. Number one, we need to be willing to say, I'm wrong. I must repent. The next step is is collective repentance. To say, I'm sorry. Um, I was indifferent. I was apathetic. I chose not to listen. That's the first thing. Um, The second thing is that we have to move away from just well, I'm not racist to I'm anti-racist to I'm an advocate. Like we are literally brothers, right? Like, like if somebody did something to my physical brother, I would intervene. And so we have to begin to be, uh, as the Bible says, uh, my brother's keeper, like we should keep each other. And this is the question that I would, that I would say that would move you to action and however you think. Think of how black men are treated in America that are not LeBron James and say, would I trade places with them? If your answer is no, then begin to create a society where you would say yes. Derwin and Wade. that happens one heart at a time. Uh, that happens through being involved at every level. Number two, when we see something we don't understand, you know, people looting or the Black Lives Matter slogan, or the words, phrase, systemic racism. When we see that and we say, I don't understand, ask yourself this question, why don't I understand? There's so many perspectives that are so very different from ours. For example, a black person's story of their ancestors coming to America when it was founded is very different from a white person's story of their ancestors coming to this land when it was founded. So part of our inability to understand is we have vastly different perspectives. Number three, we need to start learning. You and I need to do whatever we can to learn about this topic of racism and why it's here. Number four, we need to expand our relationships. We need to have relationships with those who are not like us, different in color and ethnicity and background. And in the midst of that, we need to 
serve because reconciliation happens in relationship and in service when we are hand in hand and side by side. I think the most important thing is we need to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would change our hearts and our lives. Pray that the Holy Spirit would step into our church first, right? And then into our community by using us. So how will each of us respond? It's a challenging question, isn't it? It's almost overwhelming. But we as a church have the opportunity to join a great work of God. But it's going to require us to no longer sit on the sidelines. We can't be silent. We can't be apathetic. We can step forward and make a difference. Let's pray for God's Spirit to lead us, to change us, to transform us. Holy Spirit, please move in our hearts, in our lives, and in your church this day. Amen.